welcome, 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 Welcome to the Heathen Machine Chronicles. I'm your host, the Heathen Machine. This episode kicks off a multi-part event as I share one of the more intense combat experiences I'd had in Afghanistan. I wrote it because I think it's important to share. And I think people would listen. Enjoy. September 29th, 2011, 0430. The corporal of the guard wakes me up. I have a patrol to lead. Groggy, I unzip my bivy sack, swing my legs over the side of the cot, careful not to boot the Marines sleeping an arm's length away. Three hours of sleep, good enough. I ease into sweat-stiff patrol camis, ripped along the inner seam of the right leg from crotch to blow my knee. I lace up my boots, grab my rifle, then step out of the tent. I look for a spot where I can be by myself. Most of the time, I like being alone, especially before everything starts moving, before all the parts of the puzzle are crammed into place. Morning prayers drift from loudspeakers miles away. A haunting prophetic hymn of fates yet spun. A rooster crows in the distance. Wild dogs bark at their shadows. A rush of chilly air flows through the castle walls of the Hesco Barriered Patrol Base. The clockwork sunrise burns in pink and crimson shades against blue. Stars disappear, completing yet another lunar cycle. Dawn of a new day in Afghanistan. You can climb to the tops of the Hesco Barriers along the outer perimeter. Get a sweeping view of an ancient landscape cradling its secrets and forgotten history, buried under rock-hard layers of sun-scorched earth. Buried bones from so many different empires. I swear, if you listen just right, you can hear the ghosts of this place whispering, desperate for anyone to listen. Afghanistan has a dangerous beauty, like red roses on a thorny bush, pleasant to look at, but as you lean in to smell the blossoms, you notice sharp spikes shaped like shark fins lining its branches. A warning. If you don't heed that warning, if you're careless, it'll draw your blood without a care because that's just how it is. This place is my hearts of darkness, my apocalypse now. The people still live in dirt, still work with their hands and feet, use their brains to make what little they have make do. They live hard lives. Their only complaint? Us. Sometimes I think about home, sleeping in a comfortable bed, taking a cold shower, but I wanna be here. I don't worry about care packages, talking on the phones. I'm not here for reminders of home. 
I climb down and make my way to the combat operations center, the beating heart of the patrol base. It's pulse. It's brains. It's nerves. It's a basex tent with plywood floors nailed to pallets. Radios burst with static-riddled life. There's a large view screen of the camera tower in a corner. You can see half a mile in every direction, a mile on a clear day. Everything is covered in fine layers of dust, swept along by the cooling fans of humming machines. A floor-to-ceiling map dominates the space. A khaki sea of sand splashed across an enhanced satellite image of the surrounding desert. It covers a plywood wall that acts as a divider for the platoon commander and platoon sergeant, who sleep on the other side. Clusters of villages and blocks of green-shaded vegetation dot the pixelated landscape. Our route takes us south, up, when you're standing in front of the map. Midway Point puts us on the boundary of a large village, trailing off to the east, an area we've recently focused on. It sits at the upper left corner of the map, towards the ceiling, the southeastern boundary of our AO. Then nothing, just desert and sand. From the village, we head straight west, crossing a huge no-man's land. No cover or concealment, just a few wide canals, smaller ones branching off like the veins in your hand. We'll be open, exposed, a fuck-all spot to be in. Odds of getting ambushed? 50-50. There's a stack of words and numbers written on the worn dry erase board and blocky blue letters. Time of departure, 0700. Presence patrol. Time of return, 1100. Seven Marines, one corpsman, one bomb dog. Just another patrol. Four small strips of black electrical tape make a box on the board, next to the red smudged initials of the ANA, Afghan National Army. Still blank. No Afghani soldiers coming with us, which is fine. I don't trust them so much. They'd be dead weight anyway, slow us down. They see military operations differently than we do. Today, it's all about speed. The ammo has already been dispersed. Specialized gear issued, packed, ready to go with the Marine it's assigned to. Everything done the night before. I pop my patrol cocktail of ephedrine, caffeine, and ibuprofen then wash it down with a warm bottle of water, walking out to go wake everyone that's going. The squad squishes into the COC for the mission brief. Keep them short and sweet. If we're attacked, attack back. Keep each other alive. Shoot, move, communicate. Simple. It's not rocket science. Just sheer will and discipline. Everyone knows what to do anyway. Months of patrolling, firefights, Years of training together. It's second nature now. Ten minutes tops. Just a quick four-hour patrol. The platoon commander hovers around, ready to add in his two cents when he can. We all shake our heads like we're acknowledging him, but we're not. We just ignore him mostly. It's not his fault. College kid, military family, grand expectations, eager to make a name for himself so he can write an emotional memoir about it someday. Call it something like my men, my warriors, or some other paternal title. Problem is, guys like him use us to accomplish all that. So in a way, 
were a commodity to all these young platoon commanders, our lives for their promotions. It's just the way it is. Eight of us are going out for a stroll today, fucking tourists on a combat safari. We gather near the covered dining area. We look like turtles, day packs stuffed with everything we need. Last-minute cigarettes are smoked to nubs with a few anxious puffs. We check each other over, make sure nothing's left behind. Everyone focused. I balloon my lip with a fat wad of grisly wintergreen, welcoming the harsh nicotine rush, kicking up the caffeine already tingling at the tips of my fingers, edges of my nerves. A thousand things go through my head every time I step outside the wire. If I step on an IED, will they be able to find my legs? My boots are too tight, but it keeps the swelling down. On the upside, this is our last patrol. Time to take a break. What do I do? Read another book? Sounds nice. Nah, fuck that. I have so much debt back home. It'd be easier to be killed here anyway. Just think how much it would hurt to get shot in the chest. Smell that? It's burning trash and plastic, this fucking place. This would be a nice patrol. Come back, have a cold Gatorade. Why do we have an Xbox here for war? Easy enough chest day tonight. Short and sweet. These thoughts looping over and over. Some make no sense. Some just come and go. My black handheld radio squawks as I press the button along its side, testing for comms. I do the same with my shoulder mic that's shaped like a phone. Its black corkscrew cord attaches to the oversized brick of a radio in my pack. We line up in a loose, staggered column near the entrance of the base. COC, this is 2-2, over, I say, keying my shoulder mic. 2-2, this is COC, send it, they respond. Left foot, right foot. We start walking forward. Roger, 2-2, request permission to depart friendly lines. Seven Marines, one corpsman, one dog, over. Permission granted. 2-2 out, I say. And that was it. Kicking up billowing clouds of moon dust, everyone picks up their pace. Walking down the chute is always a visceral experience. Walls are high and zigzag so a vehicle doesn't have a straight shot into the base. Hell, it's barely wide enough for one. There's a scene from the movie Gladiator where Russell Crowe walks through a dusty, dingy breezeway entering an arena somewhere in the Middle East. For some reason, that scene always plays out in my head. Like smoky spirits, crowds of people line the tops of the walls, frenzied, charged, angry, roaring for violence, craving a death show as they lean over, drenching me with buckets of animal's blood. And sometimes, I welcome the warm liquid splashing over my face, even if it's just in my head. Dust cakes my lips. My body hums with adrenaline, buzzes with caffeine and anticipation. Let this patrol begin. So I wrote this about five or six years ago at a different point in my life where I was still holding on to a lot of things, but also I think at the time I felt like it was uh, at it was still really fresh in my mind. And I really wanted to work through that experience. And I found that writing about it um, really helped as I was um, 
getting getting a lot more interested in writing at that point. I also felt that I, I didn't think enough combat vet, veterans were telling their story. You know, we we get deployed, um, we experience a lot of crazy stuff, come home and really come home to a society that's fairly detached from all those experiences. And so there's this art, a disconnect that already exists. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of vets will kind of shut off and just not talk about all this stuff that's probably bothering them because, you know, they justify it as, you know, they don't want to burden their spouse with all of this stuff, which I think is kind of bullshit because I don't know what, yeah, I think that relationship, a, a healthy, trusting uh, relationship would include that openness and honesty. But really what I wanted to do was just tell a tale of what so many of my fellow combat veterans had experienced. Some very extreme, some not so much. I remember writing this, uh, you know, the memories it recalled, like in that opening uh, in the Basex tent at a patrol base, we had three these three big Basex tents, and there's probably twelve to fourteen per tent, and so we had roughly I don't know I think maybe a foot between us on our racks. You know, we had our packs under us, and we still had to keep our area fairly clean, but it didn't matter. You know, we had these big bulky military air conditioning units uh, but it ultimately still stank like feet and sweat i mean just imagine for s months and months living <clears throat> with you know the same dudes and uh <laughs> limited means to you know keep your camis clean it got to a point where you know when you go on a patrol i mean you sweat so much and then we were there you know, at the midst of the summer season. And it got to a point where my uh, patrol camis that I wore, uh, the pants would dry and they were stiff because it, they just had so much salt in it. So eventually at the end of the, at the end of our experience in Afghanistan, you could basically stand up our camis on their own because we'd sweated in them so much and our boots were no better. They were not in any, any better shape. We were in Helmand province, uh, more specifically Nawa and Trek Nawa. And it was an interesting mixture of green space with, uh, well, contrasted with this kind of barren, open desert, hard packed ground unforgiving every all the vegetation has thorns on it they had these ants that walked around like scorpions and it was just like the the landscape the geography itself was very challenging just like being uh in a in a country with such a like deep complicated and war-torn history like you know, Afghanistan. I mean, we were probably walking on ground. Alexander the Great might have come, may have marched across. You know, you're back in time. People live by the sun out there. 
You know, they live in these mud compounds that they, and the way they make the mud bricks is they flood entire fields of just the, the, cause you got to think the dirt. I mean, it's not like fine sand, like uh, you see in places like Africa or out in California or Nevada, but it's this very hard packed baked, almost clay, you know, and that's what happens. They pour water, they flood this field and all that hard packed sand turns like this clay and they cut these big long bricks out of the ground. And that's how they construct their incredibly durable um, compounds that they lived in. Like some didn't have roofs. Some did. Um, some had separate rooms for prayer areas. Um, but otherwise it was dirt everywhere. Dirt floors. I mean, just a really rough place, but ultimately we learned, you know, compassion as well. I mean, it was, it was an interesting trade of experiences. Um, I mean, we, I felt like we always acted incredibly professional and we always did our best to respect the rights and the property of the people that lived there. And so that brings us to the conclusion of this episode. I know there's still much to talk about, but for now, I simply wanted to establish a scene in all of your minds. I wanted you all to envision the landscape and feel the weight of ages like we did. Stay up to date with the Heathen Machine Chronicles wherever podcasts are found and make sure to follow me on Instagram at the Heathen Machine. New Chronicles every Wednesday, including the continuation of this combat experience account. From deep in the Ozark foothills, Heathen Machine, out. Out.